Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premier North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby, one fan at a time. And welcome, rugby fans. It's that time again to join us here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show for episode 127. As a reminder, my name is Ty, the Sapper Braga. Here is your foreign player assignment for today. We just got new titles and I added my own. Um, but, uh, oh, we're posting now, is that it? I'm the sideline below my name. <laughs> so uh, on, on that note, uh, I welcome to the show again uh, my colleague, and of course, uh, cohort and a commentator extraordinaire recently taken up his spot on the sideline with the Chicago Hounds. Again, congratulations to Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And then again, back for another bout here with the Rugby Rant Boys is Mike the Grand Poobah Perizzini. I-, I think we need to call an audible on this one for a moment. Mike, you can't have two titles. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. OG Rooster Booster <laughs> Grand Poobah, the Emperor. What is it? OG <laughs> She gets too long to put it that one, so yeah. you kind of got to guess. Give me the system there. Yeah. I just, to be honest, I, this is how I ended up with, with my fictitious nonsense title below. It's just that I felt like he had two titles, and I've been here longer than him. I don't even have one. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. I was going to say, Scott, Scott, who's not here today, because yeah. I, I don't know why, you know, maybe it's he's still upset about that loss that happened on Sunday. Probably. He didn't want to face the music to, the, you know, the hammer. So I, he's got to, you know, fill me in. He's the one that gave me that. So you could blame him for, you know, giving yeah. me two nicknames. Oh, okay. I know I like it. I like it. I like it. We'll allow it on this occasion because, of course, we like you. And that's why we continue to bring you back. But on that note, though, Rooney and Noah was the surprise one for me this weekend, boys. Um, My Super Brew weekend was not successful. It's the first time I've not gotten that I've gotten more than one pick wrong. So I was doing well until this weekend but congratulations to uh to rob and the and and the nola fans and of course everybody out there speaking of super brew tie we got to throw a shout out to week four winner my one of my favorite gals from the crescent city sheila falcon the winner for week four she had a nice job. I think she had like nine and a half points. Something so bad. Yeah, that's, I think 10 is like the maximum you can yeah. get with the Grand Slam points. So she must not only have gotten the win uh, correct, but the points difference, probably spot on in one of them. And um, hey, by the way, it, 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 I got to tell you, in a bitter irony, she can't buy Nola again. <laughs> <laughs> sorry so so uh, yeah well i'll have to find a second best team yeah. there because that 25 dollar voucher will go to good use and as a reminder for those of you that have not yet participated it is absolutely free to do so don't worry yes there is a continual point system that will accrue and decide our final winner for the grand prize second and third place but every week even if you just jump in on week five that's coming up and you win that round you're still going to get something and that keeps everybody in the fight so follow us under the handle at rugby rant pod to be able to learn more about that how we've joined forces with rugby now to share with you the opportunity to win those shop mlr vouchers through the super brew contest and as Here's we take sheila can she can buy a hounds jersey though because she's coming up for the hounds nola game uh, no ways, no ways, Rob. You can't send a NOLA <laughs> fan to a NOLA away game in a hand stadium wearing the wrong gear. Well, I'm not telling her to wear it. She could bring uh, it up and and we could, uh, you know, we could probably do something for her up here. I got connections. Oh. There we go. All right. I like where that's going. Not said, but what isn't said is said. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. Yeah, enough said. And on that note, gentlemen, let's be back in just a moment. Stick around because we're going to dive into the familiar, what you now know is the news piece as Around the Pitch. We'll be back in just a moment. When we pick up the ball, we also pick up a legacy. A legacy. That stretches beyond your current team. A legacy built on the backs of those who came before you with hard work. And for those who will come after you, we promise it won't be easy. But we'll be there, supporting you on and off. 
the field. So, gentlemen, you know how it goes, but a reminder for all those fans that are tuning in here, we're going to share with you what we think you should know about when it comes to rugby from across the realms. We're going to do it in a quick fire round, starting off, Mike, you are the one first up. Tell us what you think fans should know about. I was going to say, big news coming kind of out of MLR front office. MLR is looking to raise $100 million in investments. Didn't say what for, how they're going to get it, but this is kind of along the same vein as, you know, CVC when they invested all that money into the Six Nations or when, you know, Silver Lake bought a stake in uh, New Zealand and the All Blacks. So maybe, you know, MLR is looking for some big name partner to come in, give a nice influx of cash. And, you know, spread it out to the teams as well. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any bites coming uh, out of this. I remember that debate when they were talking about the name of, uh, you know, the uh, Kiwi rugby, the All Blacks, synonymous as one of the greatest teams, whereas going up for what they called for sale, right? And eventually they made a settlement. They got a lot of money. MLR is just like straight up. Yeah, yeah, we're we're here. We're here. We'll sell you whatever you need. (laughs) Give us the money. But of course, uh, it is an ambitious goal, but it's not completely out of the realm of what's going on in sports. So it's a good highlight there. And hopefully they'll share a little bit more details of how they wish to attain that and attract that in the weeks to come. But I'm sure, Mike, you'll keep us abreast as to what's happening there. Let's hand it over to the Hammer. So we've been talking about the 50 cap club, and and I always feel terrible if we ever stop before we get to that last 50th player that reaches 50 MLR caps, uh, then perhaps we're, you know, shunning uh, some of those players. So we got to go with it. We got to get to 50. And so I'm going to recognize three. Uh, number, uh, number 30, uh, Mike, Mikey Teo, he's been on the show, played with San Diego, went down to Utah, went back to San Diego, is playing there. Now he just won his 30th cap against Houston. And then he got Josh Larson, the captain for new England at number 31. He got his, uh, 50th cap against OGDC. And finally wearing this in his honor today, Pat O'Toole from the NOLA gold got his 50th cap this past weekend with uh, against the iron workers in a winning effort, by the way. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Number 32 on the list. And um, I got to say, uh, I'll talk about it in a moment, but I had a chat with uh, Dave Carney, of course, of Leinster and uh, Ireland fame. And I asked him the very oh, question, wow. like, so my question to you, Dave, should caps be issued for club appearances? Yeah, of course. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not saying you get 50 caps, but you you definitely get one cap when you make your first appearance. Um, you know, it's something you do with your country. It's something you know we do in Leinster. Um, you know, you get a cap um, when you when you get your first first appearance. So um, you know, I don't see why not. It's a it's a nice tradition. It's a nice touch, and um, you know, it's special to have something like that for you know you'll have it for life when you finish up and. Um, you know, to say that you were, you represented your club and um, you'll proudly have it hanging up somewhere, no doubt, in your house. 100. So, guys, for doubters, if it's good enough for Leinster, I'm saying it's good enough for the MLR. I like it. And and on that note, you had the opportunity to speak with him um, and capture a little bit of that for our fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and tell us a little bit about that one again so we don't miss it. Yeah, um, so I, I got to throw out a shout out to Ian Weigreich, uh, a mate of mine. He's affiliated with the Hounds. I'll talk about how uh, Dave and I got connected, and, and he was actually in Chicago uh, last week. But uh, shout out to Ian, um, who hooked us up. And I had an opportunity. It wasn't long, maybe 10, 10 15 minutes. I mm-hmm. shout out three or four questions to him, and he responded. I posted it on the MLR Fan Zone. Um, it's out there for public consumption for right. Hounds fans. By way of following. the Rugby Rant page. Right. So anybody who wants to check it out, it's short and sweet. I think it's actually just under, it's definitely between yeah, it's 10 like and 15 seven or eight minutes. minutes. It's very yeah, short. yeah. It's really, really easy viewing and really great opportunity to be able to speak with one of the legends of the game that's still providing and still supporting rugby, not only you know in Europe, but also coming across to Chicago to be able to help out a little bit, even if it is just with his presence and his uh, experience. 
So um, let's dive into the next piece. And I actually wanted to be able to talk about something a little bit adjacent to rugby. This is a hot topic. It kind of blew up over overnight in, in all the social media platforms. And that's because I think people are always excited when this happens because it shows you that rugby is reaching different realms, different areas, uh, and growing. The introduction, or should I say the reveal, that they will be bringing out Rugby 24 in all playable formats. It's a new rugby game. We all have our favorite whether it's John Olobu, rugby or 2003, whatever it is, everybody's got their favorite and everybody has an opinion on it. But let me tell you the facts about this game here. It's going to include 130 licensed teams. That's great. It is going to include leagues such as the URC, Pro D2, Top 14, and and I like this one in particular, gentlemen. It's going to have all the licensed countries that are participating in the 2023 Rugby World Cup. You can play as South Africa. i got to do it the opposite way. South Africa or the U.S., whoever you'd like. It. Oh, can't, sorry, I can't pick the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> that was a faux pas. So Canada and U.S. Sorry. You just time. have an out because, you know, either way, you got to a, a player in the game right there because you can cheer for two countries right right yeah. exactly right so so i digress uh and and you know it's exciting to be able to get something new like this as it engages new audiences across the globe and it continues to be able to expand the brand of rugby and the product of it so that's going to be uh released in september 2023 a combination of different uh uh companies we work in this project so look out for that next release we'll hopefully be able to have a chance to talk more about it down the road when we get more information but it's exciting and fans are excited and so they should be let's dive into the next here and handing it back to the grand poobah himself mike what else have you got yeah this is a little old but still uh two weeks ago vancouver sevens finished up uh they said that close to you know sixty-seven thousand people attended over three days so it's good you know people are going out to watch rugby sevens uh new zealand ended up winning for the women's and Argentina ended up winning for the men's. But most, most importantly, U.S. Uh, Sevens women's won a bronze, making it their fifth medal in a row. Uh, so every single tournament that they've been in this year, all five, they have placed, which is uh, an amazing feat. I believe they're in third place overall with points. I can check real quick. Yes, they're in third place overall. Um, and it looks like Hong Kong Sevens is going to be the next tournament at the end of the month. So looking forward to seeing how they do there. So they've set themselves up, Mike, for, you know, um, being in the in the, the Olympics and qualifying yep. for, you know, being right. able to compete at that team of six, uh, one of the 16 teams for the Olympics coming up. Yeah, they, yeah I don't know and, if they've, they've qualified yet. I, I believe New Zealand was the only one that qualified this weekend, but I, it's coming up close where they're, they're going to be reaching that goal uh, shortly. Yeah. Yeah, the consistency is what's so uh, uh, great to be able to see in building that confidence um, on that run towards greater achievements. So great job for the uh, for the uh, USA uh, women's side for the uh, sevens and men. Uh, take note. Um, <laughs> so as we continue forward, uh, let's hand it back to you, Rob. What else do you have to share? Well, now that there's a team actually in the city in which I live, um, <laughs> right over there. Uh, I can actually have something to talk about on a week week to week basis. Um, so the Chicago Hounds have started almost like a get to know you series of forms or introductions, as they call them, uh, to the greater community in Chicagoland, and and they've kind of uh, established a uh, a region of about two hundred uh, mile, you know, two hundred miles total. So you know, outwards from Chicago. Um, and so that they started that last week, um, it was, uh, as a part of the big shoulders fund, it was in conjunction with a fundraiser, um, that's, you know, here in Chicago. Uh, like I said before, Dave, uh, Carney was here actually in attendance. Uh, they also had some more of their Irish, um, connections involved, including three players. Uh, that would be Luke Carty, of course, uh, USA. Um, and the Hounds, Patty Ryan, who also was captain of the United States, and then Mark O'Keefe. And so, you know, kind of the week before St. Patrick's Day, they came in. It was the, you know, kind of the Irish theme, Irish connections, and designed to intro it to, you know, again, uh, make connections with uh, the, the greater Chicagoland area. Uh, this took place downtown. It was a really nice event. 
um, they dressed to the nines and and everybody looked good, but it was great to see them really using their marketing strategy to to reach out, you know, to other parts of the Chicago community um, and introduce them to rugby in the house. Yeah, and it's fantastic to be able to see this. And this is one of the criticisms we've had on the show in the past from other franchises who shall not be named. We don't want to point any fingers, but their lack of uh, ability to engage the greater rugby community in their own areas. You know, people who have got roots in the community, uh, they want to have an opportunity to be able to see those influences from overseas come about. And it's great to be able to see a side like um, like the Hounds, you know, taking uh, on this uh, this important step. And, of course, bringing in the influence of, of Ireland. And it's great to be able to see that. You know, OGs have it with a connection with, I think it's Scotland, Scotland. right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Toulon with uh, uh, Utah. Um, uh-huh. Or is it, uh, is it Toulouse or Toulon? No, it's right, Toulouse. It's Toulouse. Toulouse and then Claremont yeah. with, uh, with right. Nola Gold. And, mm-hmm. and of course, yeah. New Zealand with uh, the Iron Workers as a strong New Zealand. Yeah. Country. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's great to be able to see that continuing that tradition and, and forming these ties with uh, greater rugby organizations, a lot to be learned both ways. So let's uh, dive into my last and final piece as we talk about more rugby, but an American side playing elsewhere in the Super Rugby Americas Challenge. Seven teams participating across the season. The end of the away leg for the American Raptors is now coming to a close. And unfortunately, it puts them at 0-4 on their record, but certainly some great opportunities to learn from this experience. They're a young side relatively has been brought together uh, under duress in many cases. Well, I would say duress, under haste because of uh, visas and things like that. Um, Yes, would they have wished to have more time to be prepared? Absolutely, but the results have been encouraging so far. This last one, uh, not so flattering. It was Raptors taking on Yakare and uh, the scoreline was 3-25 to against the Raptors. Um, Although, interestingly enough, that puts them at six overall. One team sits below them in seventh place, and what separates them is not the points, but the points difference. A lot of lessons still to be learned, but they, of course, are young as a side and young as a league. In fact, their first season, so if you want to continue to be able to watch great rugby in addition to MLR, you can catch that on ESPN+, Plus, as they have now provided options in both Spanish and in English commentary, so you get to be able to enjoy that through that service there, in addition to their own web website at uh, americanraptors.com so check them out more great rugby is always being played just around the corner and just around the corner we're going to be talking a little bit more about interesting moves and controversial decisions and new trials being introduced to change the tackle height in the community game of rugby what do we think about it stick around you'll find out in just a few moments Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, and it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Brewster and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant Podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark barrel-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. And welcome back, rugby fans. Of course, you're here with the Rugby Rant Podcast team. Joining me here is your opportunity to learn more about what these gentlemen here think about the new introduction or proposal, the trials, the various saga that shall be about the thoughts of changing the community game 
forevermore with changing the regulation tackle height. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I am sure you will by the end of this conversation and probably do a deep dive of your own to be able to learn about how it may change the game. But we're going to give you what we think might be our opinion for the better or for the worse, how it may change the game of rugby forevermore. But before we dive into it, it's important that you recognize what we're talking about and what the rugby powers uh, that be are talking about is the community game. What defines that? Amateur rugby. The elite status is not included in this. So don't worry. The MLR is not introducing this. Your Six Nations is not introducing this. This is about the community game in an attempt to be able to allow it to grow by overcoming many of the obstacles that sets before it, which many parents who are introducing or likely to introduce their kids to this new sport concerns about player welfare, safety, injuries, and everything that comes with that. And this is their attempt to be able to make the game more accessible. And on that note, we're going to evaluate the merits and the demerits, considering how it may change the game for the better or for the worse, starting out with Mike. So starting off for the better, um, you know, the vast majority of concussions happen in the tackle. And so World Rugby's thinking by lowering the tackle height, you, in fact, lower the, the percentage of concussions that happen to the tackle player, which that ends up happening. Um, to be honest, thirty. there's a, from one study that I've saw out of University of Bristol, there was a 30% reduction in hits to the neck in the head when the, uh, the tackle height was lowered. Uh, I think World Rugby is trying to do the right thing in, uh, you know, by being, you know, making the game safer. Uh, I just don't know, you know, how much of, you know, how much legislation that really needs to have. Um, I think this would be great for the youth game of rugby. I don't know so much. So for like the men's and women's club level, I think, you know, maybe reducing the tackle height and starting it younger with kids and, and teaching them to tackle lower. And then, you know, set an age limit and say, you know, by a certain time period we want everyone to be able to tackle i think they're saying below the sternum uh, mm-hmm. that i think that's a more realistic goal instead of what they they plan on doing uh is just you know wholesale switching but it, it's it's a move by world rugby to try and make rugby safer for especially for those that are looking at this and saying hey you know a lot of head injuries how do we want to change this Yeah, and I want to be able to take the opportunity to come and frame that conversation again and highlight the importance of player welfare with a quote from Alan Gilpin, who sits as the World Rugby's chief executive. And his words are, in uh, in our sport, sorry, if our sport is to continue to grow, we must ensure that we are accessible and relevant to more people around the world. So that's an interesting thought there, is making it more relevant, right? So it's more accessible. It's uh, the obstacles, as I mentioned before, could be overcome. One of the ways, as you pointed out now, is kind of a bit of an, uh, an amendment to the original attempt, which the RFU has egg all over their face by saying, you know, in January, they had to put out a formal apology uh, because they didn't actually ask the opinion of the rugby community themselves. They just said, tackling below the waist is the new rule. Now that's been adjusted. They've realized that wasn't the right way. They're looking at engaging different communities and asking them to participate willfully to be able to share their data. So it is also important to recognize for fans that this is not going to happen overnight. There's suddenly not going to be a switch. We're going to turn on and turn off tackling, right? It's going to be a process before we actually adopt it across many different unions, but they're asking for the support of the unions right now to continue these trials. South Africa being one of those key partners, France is the most important partner because they've already done this. So I didn't want to dive any farther into that, but we have to recognize there is precedent with the RFU of England already uh, implementing what they thought was the answer by the waist. Now it's been adjusted up to the sternum. They think this might appease many of the rugby community players. Let's hand it over to Rob. Thanks, Ty. Uh, I, you know, if, and I, I've, I've listened to several podcasts. I've, I've read uh, quite a few articles on this issue, and I'm really, really mixed in how I feel about this. Because for every argument I come in with on one side, I, I then look at the alternative. Some of my concerns about 
this are several fold. Number one, what do we do with players, especially at the international level that are really tall? I mean, Evan Etzebeth is six nine, right? Imagine him, you know, trying to put in a solid tackle against a scrum half, you know, mm-hmm. like um, you know, Andre Dupont. You know, it's gonna take a quite a bit of effort to drop his tackle height in order to hit below the sternum. Okay. Right. And um, that's not taking into consideration the players moving downward anyways. Correct. And I'll get to that. So don't steal my thunder. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I Yellow card for time. Yeah, I, saw that, <laughs> I saw that firsthand this weekend as I'm on the sideline commentating. I, I don't know if people know that I'm commentating for the um, uh, Hounds matches. Um, but, a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, as I'm commentating, I got a firsthand look at it because I'm field side and, and right on my side of the field as I'm standing there, uh, McLean Jones from the Hounds, you know, try to put in a low tackle on uh, Ross, um, uh, the scrum half, uh, n- not Ross Broad. That's the way Wilkie pronounces uh, Ross Brody. And um, he tried to drop his tackle, right? But of course, Brody dropped his shoulders too. And now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you've got the, the guy being tackled, dropping his shoulder, right? And McLean Jones didn't have time to react, even though he is making attempt to lower the shoulder. Uh, so I think it poses a challenge for tall players. Um, I also know from firsthand experience that, you know, concussions are often from knees. You yeah. drop your head to the waist. You get hit with a hip. You get hit with a high knee that's coming up when somebody's pumping the legs. That happens frequently, as well as the fact that, um, you know, it, you've got uh, um, uh, uh, like friendly fire, if you will that uh, some players, you know, come into a tackle, it's a double tackle and, you know, your teammate coming in, you knock heads. Now you're, now you, now you've got the concussion. So, you know, it's a t- contact sport. It makes it tough to legislate a lot of that out of it. Cause it's just going to happen. Um, you know, finally, boy, my concern is how you roll it out. And Mikey kind of touched upon it. You bring it in at youth and kind of progressively work it forward. Um, England or the RFU ran into this issue when they rolled it out. They didn't define it well enough. They didn't get the input, as you mentioned, and therefore they got backlash from a huge number of clubs, 278 clubs. And there's now a community club union that is asking for a special meeting of the RFU and a, and a vote of no confidence, you know, so it's all about how you roll it out. And, USA rugby struggling in a lot of areas. They're making headway in some. Do we trust them to roll it out here in the United States? I don't know. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to throw it back to you just for a sec, because we're talking about the youth game and you've had experience uh, at high school coaching level with the same game in addition to other as, uh, other sports. So here, here, I'm going to frame it again. So bring it in at youth. No one's going to disagree with that. That's kind of what we've been touting for, for generations on the show. But the thing is, here in the U.S., I've recently discovered that contact sports are introduced much less, later than they are, say, for example, in South Africa or New Zealand. I grew up playing tackle rugby from the age of seven years old. We didn't have boots, right? We, we, we wore, were barefoot, but we introduced tackle rugby. So the tackle technique was introduced at a much earlier age, and you grew up understanding proper tackle technique. But here in the U.S., it's introduced much later, the contact aspect of the sport. Is that a factor, too? Um, I don't think so. I, you know, they introduced tackling at a pretty young age, uh, in American football. Uh, I would love to see them do more, of you know, Hawk tackling as we, it's now become known or, you know, um, it's become associated with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I'd like to see them introduce it and incorporate rugby a bit more in that regard. I think the biggest issue from a youth sport component is getting officials that are quality enough to be able to spot it and call it. Cause of course, mm-hmm. anytime you try to legislate something like that, what happens when yeah. you have a, an incidental contact, you have uh, somebody go high and a, an official misses it because of inexperience, the right. whole side, every parent on the sideline suddenly, suddenly becomes an expert in tackle height, you know? Yeah. So, I think there are some other things that have to be legislated into it. I was going to leave this a bit, but one of those is, isn't there some responsibility for the runner? Mm-hmm. This is actually France legislated into it in their version that the runner can't can't drop their shoulder height. 
interesting. And that's one of the things we're talking about. And yeah. and this is why trials have to be able to reveal yeah. these these flaws, um, so you can evaluate them, and you can of course set new expectations for the next round of trials. And they believe they've already done this. And the research suggests that in the initial trials in the French community game, and again they don't describe exactly what levels of the game, but it does umbrella. Uh, 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 does encompass everything of the amateur uh, version, so not professionals or semi-professionals. And they say that they saw a 31% reduction in head injuries through the trial. 31% is massive right now, but but it, where I am confused, though, is when you continue to be able to read more and more of these articles and they go deeper and deeper and they offer different quotes from these officials, they tend to start to blur and start to almost conflict. Because on one hand, they say, we want to put player welfare first. But I found a quote that actually says from World Rugby Chairman Bill Beaumont, who I have my own gripes about, um, but that's a different show. Here's, here's what he said. He said, it is important that we continue to explore ways that we can make our game as enjoyable and as safe as possible. The community game is the lifeblood of our sport, representing 99% of our participants. And the proposed tackle height adjustment has already delivered positive game shape and playing experience and outcomes in the trials. It is the essential to the future of our sport. So is it about getting more people involved or is it about keeping those people that are involved safe? I understand it's a balance, but let's hand it over to Mike to be able to hear what you think of the downsides. And if you want to address that last comment, that's understandable. I was going to say, I think rugby is an inherently dangerous sport. You know, um, when we're recruiting guys, people know you're getting tackled. You, people know you're, you're playing without pads. There's that sense of, hey, you know, you're going to get hurt one way or the other. You just kind of have to accept accept that. Um, you know, we're not made out of glass. You you could take a hit. It's it's but, but those, yeah, concussions are incredibly devastating, but you know what you're getting into in rugby. So I think to, you know, to try yeah. and... You don't walk get, into a boxing ring and not expecting to get hit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so to get, you know, to make rugby safer, I think is kind of an oxymoron because at, at some point you're just going to lose the essence of what, you know, rugby mm-hmm. is. That right. being said, with lowering the tackle height, I am absolutely against it. Um, I think that it is from all the studies that have been done. And so I, I, there's a study, I, I think I said it was uh, Br- University of Bristol is actually University of Bath that did it um, where they looked at the championship game. And so that is professional rug- uh, rugby players. They looked at lowering the tackle height to the armpit. And they said right. that while there's a 30%, like I said, there's a 30% reduction in hits to the head and the neck. There is absolutely no difference in the amount, in the outcome of uh, injuries and concussions that has happened. So what essentially happens is the tackler gets ends up getting concussed more often than the, the right. It's more at player. risk, and yeah. so yeah, it, it ends up you know you end up switching who ends up getting concussed. And the same that's the thing too. There's in World Rugby's press release for this, they mentioned that you know this this will reduce you know. Uh, knocks to the head by 31% and they give you the study that was done by the University of Stellenbosch in uh, South Africa. And in that study, in the conclusion, they said, despite a trend uh, towards reducing uh, injuries, head injuries and SRC, lowering uh, maximum legal uh, tackle height to armpit level did not change SRC incidents in the uh, in this amateur rugby cohort, meaning yeah, just by re- reducing the tackle height, it did, did not mean that in fact right. there was a reduction in it's injuries. In the theory and the practice isn't yeah. really matching up. And the, the biggest thing is you by you know by lowering the tackle height, you are lowering the tackling player, mm-hmm. and that's where the you know all of a sudden you're going from a guy who's oh maybe he's aiming for the chest, now right. he's aiming for he now he's aiming for the hips. And maybe he goes a little too low and he catches a knee to the forehead. And I'll, I'll can tell you what, a knee to the forehead does a, a hell of a lot of damage too. Yeah. It's not just, you know, the head to head or the shoulder to the head that we have to worry about. And so I think it is incredibly, I think it, hey, the I, studies that I've seen, it's incredibly yeah. irresponsible to say that, oh, by lowering the tackle height, we're, we're making the game safer. We're, 
I empirically not. believe what you're saying. You know, both you and Rob are pretty much on the same page when it comes to the fact that yeah. we, we recognize that the intention is to be able to reduce injury, but it also provides more opportunity for it by way of the tackler. I'm a victim of that too. I tell you, the one time I actually had my nose broken is when I was going in for a tackle and the knee came straight up as I was going head down. I mean, look, it, it could have been worse for me. Yeah, broken nose is pretty bad, but I wasn't concussed or anything. I tell you what, I was pretty sore for a long time, but I didn't want the rules of the game to be changed. I kind of yeah. knew what I was going into. Now, maybe that's an old mentality of thinking about it. Maybe we're the old guard, right? We got to think about the next generations to come, how they may enjoy the game. Um, and we're going to dive a little bit into what that game would look like in the future uh, as we get a little bit further into this. But before we do, I want to throw it back to Rob to challenge him to be able to tell me what he thinks are the positives behind this. Yeah, I'm not all, all out against it. As I said from the get-go, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Here's the deal. I think if it's going to happen, they've got to define it. They've got to make sure that all officials, coaches, players understand what is the tackle height. They've got to train people on that, whether it's you know training players to tackle lower, provide interpretations for for officials and prepare coaches to help um, their athletes learn how to drop that tackle height. I think a component needs to come in, as I said before, with the runner. They need to change the dynamics of the runner because, listen, mm -hmm. a guy drops his shoulder height. What are you going to do? You're going to try to run him over. You're going to try to, you know, you know, go into that contact and you're going to drop your shoulder height and inevitably it's going to create a problem. I mean, look at the pick and goes you see it at, at a, you know, at the base of a rock, right, right. you know, as yeah. you're trying to, as they're trying to score, everybody's head is below their hips to try to score. That's that that's going to create problems. Right. Um, and finally, I, I think they need to address the protocols. If you want to make it safer, and this is starting in the amateur game and some of the lawsuits are coming out of the amateur game. Well, what are the, what is the amateur game doing in post-concussion protocols. Do they have them? Yeah, that's a fair point. How do they identify them? Whatever it is, yeah. yeah I don't know how they treat it. Or, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. so basically guys are on their own. They talked about a guy out of the UK who's involved in a long suit, lawsuit who's had all these concussions or like 70 concussions, but he plays, he plays like, I thought they said like 70 games a year. Jeez, he's averaging one a game. <laughs> no, I, well, I don't know. I may have my numbers mixed up, but I want to. I, I mean, I, I yeah. the number of games he was playing was absolutely absurd. And right. at some point, you go like I had a mate of mine, Mark Zdenovic, a great guy, and he had a number of concussions successfully. And he was told by a doctor, he said, "You can't keep this up." And during the prime of his athletic, you know, prowess, he had to give up rugby. He didn't get out of the game totally, but he had to give up playing. And he recognized the importance of his on his overall long-term health care. You know, right. clearly at some level, at least in the amateur game, and at some level, the professional game, players have to accept their own responsibility. So I think it's, you know, I, I'm okay with it, but we all got to be realistic about this approach in, in, mm -hmm. in all those in all those components. So, Rob, let's stick to that just for a moment. And you've done a great job of addressing the one part. And, and likewise for Mike is the player welfare aspect. And we've spoken that, that at length from a couple of different angles. But what about the other point that Beaumont brought up, which is growing the game? Do you think it might have an, the, the, the desired effect to be able to get more people to take up the sport? Well, I can tell you from my experience in dealing with young athletes, both in middle school and high school, yeah. Uh, I, you know, the, especially when you saw a lot of the CTE issues come out of the NFL and the lawsuits come out of the NFL here in America, um, there was clearly a concern by parents that concussions were an issue. And, and a lot of parents, the blowback, there was a period of about three or four years where the numbers of football participants, and you're drawn from some of those same athletes, by the way, were dropping. Kids were going into lacrosse. Uh, mm -hmm. Why? Because they perceived lacrosse as not having the concussion issues. And in actual fact, I don't know that the numbers are quite as large, but concussion, it's a contact sport. It's still an issue there. Yep. So it was kind of a, oh, you know, I mean, it was, they were lulled into a false sense of security there. And so um, I think by making these attempts, it, it does, there's a better public perception, but there's other things they could do. Some of the things I mentioned that could help improve that. So, Mike, let me throw it to you, though. Given the two choices, which one is the lesser of the two evils? You know, if you choose to be able to say, 
you know, to drop it or to grow. Well, sorry, player. I may let me rephrase this with the player welfare at one side and growing the game at the other. What is another alternative? Do you think to be able to achieve those two things? Because it's a difficult one to be able to do. Yeah. And I don't know. I think speaking from someone that coaches and plays at, you know, men's club and women's club level, um, so I don't think you play the women's team. They do not. Oh, not it's because of the hair. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, uh, everybody. Just leave the mic you a little bit. Not um, I was going to say, uh, anyone, if they've made that decision to play rugby, uh, it, I don't think it matters. This will not change, you know, right, their like, decision. Like, oh, wow, it's it's lower now. We're, we're yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. Yeah, now like I'm gonna play. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I that was. Yeah, I know, think it's true at the that's... at the younger level, but not at the men's club level. It's. I mean, not... we know it's inherently dangerous. Yeah, and so I, I think that yeah, we know it's inter- inherently dangerous, and so I don't know if it's gonna have an effect there. I like. I think what you know, Rob was saying, yeah. it might have an effect with you know young uh, players because right. their parents or at least their parents who, who encourage them well, to yeah. play. Well, yeah, that that or you know the kid could say, "Hey, I want to play rugby." Oh, here, you know. And they look it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've they've changed it. Oh, it's going to be you know a lower tackle height. It's, it's perceived. I think it's that's it's perceived yeah. safety. It's um it doesn't actually do anything. All but sense it's of a, security it's, it's is a phrase yeah. that uh, that Rob threw out. Yeah, and it's it, it's that perception. It's that it's I would say it's like um like safety theater. Like we're oh yeah. look what look what we're doing. We're making everything better. And the marketing team is working overtime. Yeah. Absolutely, that's what you're calling it, aren't you? It, yeah, and and so like I I think yeah working towards player player safety should be you know the number one goal um mm-hmm. and i think there are other portions of the game that could be you know refined i think i think the yeah. one the one piece that i would look at is um years ago when it was adam jones when play was playing for wales and someone came in from probably like you know five ten meters out and you know cleared him out in in a ruck and basically tackled him off of a ruck mm-hmm. and the you know World Rugby looked at that and said, you know what? You shouldn't be allowed to tackle a player that doesn't have the ball. You know, guys that are blowing into the rucks that are doing this, it's a, you know, it's completely dangerous. You know, we've got to, you know, legislate that. Good. I think that was, you know, they saw, you know, an issue, crocodile rolls, alligator rolls. They saw an issue. Guys are, you know, blowing out, you know, their knees, you know, blowing Achilles tendons and stuff like that. Let's get rid of that. That's good for the game of rugby. And that's players, that has player safety in mind. I don't think, I think this, yeah, this is all, all theater and this doesn't actually have player safety in, in mind. And so, right. Uh, I think, you know, and yeah. Back to one of your earlier points though, is at what point have we changed the game rugby too much? And, that, and that's the other thing too, is, uh, you know, well, at some point in the community level, will this come to where some refs are, t- you know, are enforcing the tackle height? Some refs aren't. Is this a question that we have to have at the beginning of a match where you go to the ref to go, you know, for me with the scrum half, I got to ask, oh, when's the ball out of a rock? That's, you know, one of my always, always questions with, you know, with the ref at the beginning of the game is the next question going to be, all right, ref, what's the tackle height for today? Is it the shoulders? Is it the sternum? Is it the waist? What are we playing with? You know. Yeah, no doubt. One of the greatest challenges in terms of growing the sport, and the U.S. is probably one of the greatest examples because it is relatively new to here, at least to most audiences, is how technical the game is. And it's only become more technical as the years have gone by, as you pointed out. And even though it's rooted in player safety and it ha- its intentions are pure, its practice is where we have gripes and yeah. and that's where the interpretations can be left up to this guy and that guy and everybody's got a different uh, a definition that's what's what's crippling the game from from being able to be exposed to new audiences because the harder it is you look at you look at soccer right and to those in Europe we call them football right it's so simple put the ball in the back of the net and who does it more often wins sure there's a bunch of stuff in between but we'll figure that out along the way basketball you get two for this and three for that have at it Right. So but with rugby, it's far harder to be able to learn the intricacies of the game. So it has to only be adopted for it to grow. It has to grow with that player and with that audience. So this, I think, maybe in principle, sorry, in in theory, 
is a great idea. And to your point earlier, Rob, I have no clue whether how they implement it, what the regulations are, how it will be, uh, uh, the consistency will be born. All of those are still question marks, but the trials are ongoing and we'll stay with them to be able to see what the results may be. They've got another season to be able to go in South Africa, still get undecided if they're going to continue their trial and move it to other uh, broader market. We'll, we'll, we'll stay on that because I'm pretty sure it's going to be a hot topic for quite a yeah. while. Gentlemen, as we go into the latter part of this uh, 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 talk here, I want to be able to throw it back to you each with a final thought, with one question in mind. How will this change the game for the future if it does come to be? And I'm going to hand it over to you, Mike, where we started this all earlier. I was going to say, I... <sighs> I think if it's if it's implemented well and it's implemented in the youth level and it, it, you know it filters itself naturally, um, it could have the potential to be you know make rugby safer. You know, then again, you know, like we said, just because you're we're lowering tackle height doesn't mean that you know you're lowering uh, you know the amount of injuries. It will potentially make for better tacklers. Um, which who could say that maybe that filters into you got guys that are tackling lower at, you know, youth level and, you know, age grade level. And then they eventually become part of the national team and they just know how to tackle low. And maybe, maybe that's the one, you know, way that it kind of helps out eventually is, you know, youth players get to tackle better. But that being said, um, I, I am not sure you're going to have so many old men, and I'll count myself as one of them. Uh, some so many old everybody in the screen just, can count themselves as that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so many old players that just it, this is not something that is you know right absolutely feasible in you know the club level game. You're you know, we're so ingrained to tackle you know below the shoulders, and even then, yeah, you know, get a few high pokes in there as, yep. every yep. once in a while. But maybe maybe for the youth level, you know, and bringing it up that might, that might have some effects. Other than that, I you know. Maybe in the so, long term it helps out, but who knows? So you're saying in the next like five to ten years is not going to make a difference, really? It, 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 yeah, potentially not. Maybe you know, maybe in fifteen years we, you get you know some kid that you know really learned how to you know tackle really well because they introduced this and he was you know he he was hitting people perfectly at the hip and now he's playing on the national you know or he or she is playing yeah. at the national level and they're they're really tearing it up just because they learned to tackle low. But right, other than that. Who knows? So it's got to grow through the age grades and up into, you know, semi-professional. And, and again, we're, we're to, to make sure that everybody's clear, they're not talking about introducing this at a professional level just yet. Could that be? Yeah. But obviously only once it's successful, all the other level, levels leading up to it. Rob, what is your thoughts? How will this change the game? Well, I think I think players and coaches will adapt. I think that play, especially at the highest of levels, if it trickles up to that point, you're going to see the most athletic, the best players who are in you know full time training environment to be able to adapt and drop their tackle height. But for me, that's not the question. The question is, <clears throat> safety should. Do you really do they really want to improve safety of the game? Do they really want to cut down on concussions? If so, then safety has to be a holistic approach. Yeah. Right. You know, it's kind of like with with, um, you know, addressing school shootings. I don't want to get too political, but, you know, being a dean like we can talk about that. We can talk about having armed security guards in schools. But, you know, if you're going to leave the doors and every door of the school wide open for right. just to come in, you're still at risk. You're still at risk. So you've got to think of it holistically. How do we do a better job at protecting the state, you know, the school environment? Same thing. How do we do a better mm -hmm. job at protecting right. at, at making the game safer? Well, you, you, again, it goes back to what I talked about, the proper training, et cetera, def, well, you know, proper definition, et cetera. But you've also got to address the runner. I think you also have to, especially at the at the community level, um, you have to put the protocols in place to make sure that guys aren't going out there the week after they got dinged and, and playing the game because they're going to be open up to a greater risk of concussions without having gone through the proper protocol. You know, because, right. again, they're making choices. Um, to put themselves out there. There's nobody enforcing it like an official, like a, a team doctor or whomever. Yeah. 
Really, really interesting thoughts and a great debate all around, gentlemen. I'll share my final thought on this one, and uh, I haven't actually said it until now, and I don't know whether it's really a factor or not, but I'll throw it out there and nevertheless and leave it for the general public to be able to curse me afterwards, which, by the way, you can do under the handle at Rugby Rand Pod. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, everybody knows that there are ongoing and probably more to come lawsuits against the various unions surrounding head injuries and how they've been handled and how players have been asked to continue playing while injured. There's a whole saga that is still uh, unveiling. Now, I feel in a way that if the unions did happen to be able to say, hey, here's what we've done to be able to change it for the future, it might put you in a better and more positive light when you do have to be able to repent for your sins. Uh, so, So it might say, hey, We've done bad. We recognize that. Here's how we're choosing to change it. So that's one thing to be able to think about. The other half of it is I think it's more so about being able to grow the game because they're not stupid at the top. If you don't have more players taking up the sport, its longevity is going to be much shorter than if you did have positive numbers. And where we are right now is those numbers are decreasing for a variety of reasons, especially in important regions which have traditionally been very successful in recruiting. Now, in other areas like the U.S., we're getting better, but that's because it's an emerging sport. So they do have those same challenges and those same objections of player safety. So, It allows you to be able to cover both those things at one time, but it comes down to execution. I don't care where it comes from, what your plan is or your intention. Let's talk about the practice. And that's what we want to, I think, the rugby community and fans alike want to be able to see how is it being rolled out? Where is it happening? What does it look like? Show me a video of a game and what it looks like. You obviously have it. Show me that. I haven't seen one post. Have you guys seen any posts of actual uh, game footage of what this looks like? No. And that might already squash many of the complaints if you could actually see it. Because all of this is theory. So perhaps uh, you out there have managed to be able to see something like this in your local community. Or maybe you've seen some footage. If you have, tell us about it by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. You can continue to be able to enjoy our content weekly, whether it be through our social media services or any major podcast platform that you may choose. We are available weekly with this edition and more like this through our Run Parcel Kick interviews when we take the opportunity to, to meet with a rugby insider from across Major League Rugby and North American Rugby in general uh, by way of what we call the Run Parcel Kick interviews. Gentlemen, it has been a blast. It's been a great debate. I've enjoyed this one thoroughly, and I think we'll leave it for the fans to be able to decide the fate of of what this may be as a result of this conversation. So again, you can tell us online uh, by tagging any one of us or the podcast itself. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to be able to hear from you. Gentlemen, Thank you very much. Again, joining us is Mike, the Grand Poobah Perizzini, and of course, Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt on behalf of Scott, the big guy Ferrari, not joining us here today, still crying his eyes out in Nola uh, gold colors. <laughs> but again, it's been great, and we will take the opportunity to see you all again at the next. Thank you for joining us for episode 128. Bye-bye for now. goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.